Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go. Middle of the week, a little bit closer. It's Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, how are you today? Probably, if you are anywhere, almost anywhere, maybe extreme southeast Mississippi, temporarily um, uh, absent from this, but pretty much anywhere within the borders of the state of Mississippi, it's raining on you, or has been raining on you, or is about to be raining on you. That is a big, this is Borky is my fancy weatherman term, that is a big green blob on the radio that just kind of keeps feeding on itself. (laughs) Yeah, but luckily, knock on wood here, but it certainly appears like this is only going to just cool things down a little bit for a beautiful Saturday. Yeah, it really looks good. Forecast looks great for the weekend. Uh, it's actually going to be a little warmer in Oxford than it has been. I, I think today the high was 63, and tomorrow the high is in like the upper 60s. Uh, last time I checked, uh, 82, I think, for the high on Saturday. I'm looking uh, at right now for what it's, I mean, what's two degrees? Yeah, but 80. 80 and 60. So even though you're not really tailgating in the Grove, wherever you're doing your pregame is going to feel wonderful. And 80 degrees at kickoff for the opening game, no complaints there at all. My only question is shorts or long pants. Ooh. <laughs> what you should do is go go shorts, man. Who cares? Um, I wonder, will Mullen go shorts? Let's see. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, Starkville, almost identical. 81 degrees, partly cloudy, low of 60. Only a 10% chance of rain, and then both Oxford and Starkville wind out of the south. You know what this means? Since a lot you know, of you can't go, uh, outside TV watch parties. Th- there you go. I was about to correct myself and say, so that is the forecast in Starkville if you want to set up a television in, in your backyard or on your patio. Uh, let's see. I haven't even looked at Baton Rouge. Uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 10-day forecast, not too bad. 84 degrees in Baton Rouge on Saturday for the high, so probably, you know, 84 at kickoff. Cooling off as the game goes along, and wind out of the north, which might actually knock the humidity back just a uh, a little bit as well, as uh, they are wont to have humidity in Louisiana. Say what, hey, Dad? Chance of rain is never, so... Yes, I think I've heard that somewhere along the way. It's not true. I've been there when it's rained. but Yes, it is not true. It's just one of the cool traditions, though. Oh, yeah, no question. Can you imagine being in Tiger Stadium for a football game? You get to your seats half an hour before kickoff. You watch the end of warm-ups, and then you kind of look around, and you're like, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Where's the band? 
Why are they not lining up in the end zone? Why is that drum major not arm out, up and down, up and down as he walks toward the 50, and then they start that drum beat, the bump, 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 bump. It's going to be something. Something different, Um, And then those four notes that make the hair on the back of everybody's neck stand up, not happening on the field. I'm sure they'll do it from in the stands. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm sure they will. And it'll be great for the 25,000 that are there, but uh, it certainly is going to feel different. We've got a bunch to get to with you this afternoon. Uh, Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun hosts a radio show in Gainesville. Been covering the Gators for a really long time. Good buddy of mine going to join us at uh, 20 minutes after 5 today. So that'll be right after the college football fix. Pat Dooley. We'll talk a little Florida with, uh, with him. Also, an extended conversation that was had by multiple people with KJ Costello. Uh, hey, Dad, you, you were there for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good a question, bit. too. I can't wait to hear it. Give us a little bit of a tease on what we're going to hear from K.J. Costello coming up later this afternoon. That is one of the sharpest college ball players I've ever spoken with. He is, he is I mean, and I, and I get that because, I mean, if, if you have Stanford grad on your resume, you must be a pretty smart person. Um, but the the amount of detail he goes into on his answers but he's not boring either i feel like he gives interesting information so he it, the main focus of last night's talk was this this week in practice he's felt everything start to click for him he feels like he is completely comfortable within this offense and i think he's ready to 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 show that on saturday and he's going to need to for mississippi state to have a chance to upset lsu and and wasn't the quote about yesterday's practice, something was different. It was by far yeah. the best practice we had. We took it to another gear. Something changed. Something clicked. Basically, yeah, that, that's that's what he said. That yesterday yeah. was the, was the day that it, it just all came together for not only for him, for, for his teammates as well. He's not kidding. Hmm. I, I had to cut a long press conference down to ten minutes to obviously fit our segment window, and I didn't know where to stop or what to cut out. That dude thinks about the questions that are asked of him. I was impressed, too. Like, I'm not just blowing smoke. He's an impressive kid. I mean, I don't know if he'll play like an NFL quarterback, but he talks like one. And talks better than some because some of them are so boring and don't want to say anything. And, and whether True. whether it's because they hate media or they think they are going to be giving something away or, or what, I, I don't know. But for whatever reason, some guys in the NFL don't talk. And then sometimes you get really insightful answers and uh, that's what you got coming up from uh, K.J. Costello a little bit later, starting quarterback for Mississippi State. Hey, Dad, I'm not trying to paint you into a corner here. Can the answers a quarterback gives you on Wednesday of the opening game of the season week, can they make you change how you feel about the game or the outcome of the game or the way it unfolds? For me, no, because my prediction would be more based on what LSU is than what Mississippi State is. Um, but can it make you feel better about where the offense is and, and where they're going to be going forward after this game and, and how they're going to play in the games that you think that they can win or the games that you think could be toss-ups? Yeah, I think I think what he's saying can do that. Okay. Hey, Dan, I, I, I want to cede the floor to you. Okay. And let you tell me what you know 
and why we should be concerned after the passing of an 80s wrestling superstar in Road Warrior Animal Joe Laurinaitis. Yeah. Uh, one of the part of the, in my opinion, the greatest tag team of all time, the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom. Uh, you know, his partner Hawk passed away tragically many years before that. And, and, you know, glad to, you know, hopefully they have, they've been reunited today and are, are having a good time. Um, just a great wrestler, great promo. They, they were, they were game changers, man. They were, they, they changed the face of wrestling. They were the most dominant force in tag team wrestling for basically two decades. And, uh, they were really fun to watch. I enjoyed them. Great promos, great ring in ring action, good guys, and uh, rest in peace. Of course, the father of uh, 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 James Laurinaitis, the uh, former Ohio State, and then what Rams and Saints linebacker for a little while as well. So. Yeah, I was going to mention that for those of you that don't follow wrestling and that name doesn't ring a bell, you may say Laurinaitis. Haven't I heard that somewhere? Yeah, he was yeah. an All American, right, at, at Ohio State. Oh, yeah, James yeah. Laurinaitis. Yeah, yeah, great, great player. Incredible player. And there'd be so, a line of students in front of the student section wearing those shoulder pads like his dad did. And you see that at a lot of places. A lot of places do the uh you see guys in spiked shoulder pads. Well that's that comes from the Road Warriors. So very it's a very Georgia thing, right? Georgia does it. State had it uh for a little while there. They had the Legion of Croom out there for a while. Oh. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. So James Laurinaitis, along with his tag team partner, Road Warrior Hawk, mm-hmm. won two WWE tag team titles together. Laurinaitis dedicated his 2005 championship with John Heidenreich to his late former partner, who, as Haydad pointed out a second ago, had died uh, two years earlier. Continued fighting. He's 60 years old and fought yeah. up until the age of 54. A 2011 lot inductee into the uh, WWE Hall of Fame alongside Hegstrand. And you just, you, it's just to tie it all together, John Heidenreich, his partner for that, played football at Mississippi State. Did he now? Yeah. Very good. Known for their attire, painted faces, football shoulder pads with spikes, in addition to their imposing figures. Laurinaitis was a big old boy, 6'2", 300. Big man. Big man. That's what I said. But still fairly then, athletic. Yeah, tag team wrestling back then, there was a lot of smaller guys. There weren't a lot of tag teams that looked like... There aren't any tag teams that really look like the Road Warriors. Often imitate it, never duplicate it. So rest in peace, Animal. You gave me a lot of good memories, and I appreciate it. There you go. So uh, condolences to the Laurinaitis family in the passing of Road Dog Warrior. I'm sorry, Road Warrior Ooh. Animal. Road Warrior Animal. That, don't... don't I, come on. We just did an entire segment on a wrestling legend. Don't give me crap at the end. Uh, You did good. You did good. Road warrior animal. Well, things got a little interesting yesterday when Otis Reese, who wants to play for Ole Miss this year, took to Twitter. We'll tell you about that next. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Don't forget, the C Spire text line is always open, 601-879-4395. Want more fast and less furious? Switch to gigabit C Spire fiber and see what real internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Learn more at cspire.com slash fiber. So, 
We've talked a lot about Otis Reese. Lane Kiffin has talked a lot about Otis Reese. Otis Reese is the Georgia transfer who Lane Kiffin has very publicly said he thinks it's unfair that he has not been ruled eligible by the NCAA first and then the SEC, and that he would be a starter and maybe the best player on the defensive side if he were made available. Otis Reese has been going through this process for a while now, and yesterday he decided to take his case public. His tweet was, Dear, comma, at NCAA, at SEC, at Greg Sankey. This is a little long, so bear with me, but I think it's important to read exactly what he wrote before we get into some of the reaction from it from former players at Georgia, from the University of Georgia's Athletic Association, and from the SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Here's what Otis Reese wrote. It was not my intent to fight this battle publicly. Those who know me best know that's not my nature. However, after months of working with my team through unforeseen times, we are now four days away from our first game, and there has been no word from the NCAA or SEC. I've learned recently that UGA has opposed my waiver, which is unfortunate considering what I was told when I attempted to leave last year. The reason I chose to transfer is because my one and a half years at UGA took a devastating mental toll on me. From my first moments I stepped on campus, it was not what I expected. The racist events that I kept experiencing weighed heavily on me and seemed never-ending. Then when I chose to leave the team, I was led to believe by Coach Smart that if I finished the season and didn't let my team down, in quotes, as he requested, he would support both my decision to transfer and my request to be immediately eligible. The NCAA has a text message from myself to Coach Smart, which verifies my intent to leave on October 4th of last season, in which I was manipulated to play the very next day, when I was truly at my darkest moment. When I was a student athlete at UGA, I was pulled over and harassed by police officers not once but twice. First time I was driving alone, second time I was a passenger in my teammate's car. On both occasions, the officers were extremely aggressive, accusing us of using drugs and searching the car without any basis and told us they would take us to jail. This type of harassment was a constant discussion around players throughout my time at UGA, as many of my teammates were falsely arrested and harassed. Both of my times I was polite, respectful, and compliant, but both these experiences left me shaken. I received tickets and citations upon request of body cam footage from the Athens Police Department. We were told that none existed. One of my closest friends and teammates was called a... You know the word that can't be said, by a white student athlete. Another group of white classmates mocked slavery and pretended to whip each other. These were two very public events. I didn't want to be part of a campus where my classmates held that kind of hate in their hearts. None of these things were ever addressed by the coaches at UGA. There was literally nobody to speak to about these types of things without having fear of losing your position on the team. He talks a little bit about Ole Miss and why he thinks things are different under Coach Kiffin. And then he says to wrap up his letter, added to the fact that this season is essentially a free year for all student-athletes with no loss of eligibility, I cannot understand why I'm being forced to sit back while my teammates are preparing for our first game. All I'm asking for is what is fair and be given the opportunity to take the field this season with my brothers. Maybe it's not fair that I didn't read that one paragraph. Coach Kiffin and Ole Miss have been strong advocates against racism and have put in the works uh, work to change perceptions. 
I've seen firsthand what genuine commitment to change looks like in Oxford, and I'm excited to be part of this program. If I was permitted to leave when I attempted to last year, I would be eligible to play right now. Those are the words of Otis Reese via Twitter. Bear with me just a second, because there's a lot here. The University of Georgia has responded. We cannot comment on student-athlete eligibility matters due to federal privacy law, but we would be happy to share our full response to Otis Reese's waiver request if he provides a signed release allowing us to do so. UGA disputes any suggestion that it maintains an unsafe, unsupportive, or racially insensitive environment. Now, you do have Georgia players, former teammates of Otis Reese, who on Twitter expressed their support for his waiver. And there obviously is corroboration for at least one of the incidents he references because it is the incident that allowed Justin Fields to transfer away from Georgia to Ohio State. One more angle here. This is from Greg Sankey. He was on the Jocks Roundtable this morning. He was asked about players like Cade Mays and Otis Reese who are waiting for decisions on their intra-conference waivers. There's a very direct rule that says if you transfer from school A to school B in the SEC, you serve an academic year of residence. People send in waivers, but one of the questions that should be asked is not what the commissioner is going to do, but why haven't our members voted to change that rule? We're inviting people to campus knowing there's a clear rule, and now everyone points and says, well, you need to let people out of that rule. That was what Greg Sankey had to say, which I would not think would be incredibly encouraging for Cade Mays or for Otis Reese, despite what the NCAA says. All right. A lot to unpack there. You're not kidding. Let let, let me... I want to lay the groundwork for, for my thoughts on this by rewinding a year to when we were having this conversation about Justin Fields. I do not believe, generally speaking, that college campuses are inherent, inherently racist or are inherently racially insensitive. I do believe that every college campus in America, and I've said this almost verbatim, from Ole Miss to Georgia, from Mississippi State to Virginia, from Rutgers to Ohio State, from Michigan to UCLA, from New Mexico to Iowa, and all points in between, Texas to Rhode Island, on every college campus, there are people who are racists. It does not matter if you are a liberal arts college, a major public university, a small private university, a Christian university, a Baptist university, which would fall under Christian, I understand, a Jewish university, a Catholic university, it exists everywhere. Do I believe that at the time Justin Fields should have felt unsafe because a baseball player at the time for the University of Georgia, sitting in the stands, in the student section, yelled out a racial epithet in his direction. No, I don't. I think that was a convenient way when the story became public 
to guarantee his immediate eligibility when transferring to a school where he could be a superstar. However, I also believe that it's fine for guys to transfer once and they shouldn't have to sit out if they do so. And and so it's hard for me to... I, I am not discounting anything that Otis Reese says in his statement. I am not calling it disingenuous. Those things may very well have happened and led him to feel the way that he claims that he felt and therefore wanted to leave and go elsewhere. I have no reason not to believe that. But I don't think that makes Athens, Georgia, and the University of Georgia an inherently racially insensitive place. However, I think Otis Reese should be immediately eligible because I think everybody should have the opportunity to transfer one time without penalty and be immediately eligible. That's where I am on this deal. If those things all happened to Otis Reese in a year and a half, in what's supposed to be the greatest time of his life, that sucks. It really does. Because I don't think that's the experience for most college students. White, black, brown, or otherwise. I think it's a a very small minority that have experiences like that in an 18-month window on a college campus. And if that's what Otis Reese experienced, well, I don't blame him for wanting to go elsewhere, whether it's Ole Miss or anywhere else. But it's really sad that that was his experience because, again, for most, that is not the experience. All right, I've talked a lot. I'm going to shut up when we come back. I want to hear, Borky, what you've got to say. Hey, Dad, I want to hear your thoughts on this as well. And we want to hear your thoughts on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Take your time out and be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Brad in Burnsville on the C Spire text line. Agree, I believe all student-athletes should be able to transfer without penalty one time. Also believe the NCAA holds some hostility to the University of Mississippi for past circumstances, so they should let the guy play and other players with similar stories. He also got a tweet from Wesley. He said, leaving Georgia to come to Mississippi because of racism? Do some research, buddy. He references old comments to a lynching for a senator and says, don't do it. I responded to Wesley. I said, but Reese was pretty clear that in his time in Oxford, quote, Kiffin and Ole Miss have been strong advocates against racism and have put in the work to change perceptions. I also said Mississippi's past is complicated and messy, messy, but we're working really hard on a better future. Well, so is Georgia's. You're absolutely right about that. But he was saying, you know, pot, meat, kettle. Sure, and I don't understand what a senator who's not an alum or affiliated with the school, her comments have to do with... Anyway, I think the the, the biggest yeah, I mean, thing to... represents re- the state is how I would, I would interpret that. Right, but yeah. look at some things that Georgia politicians have oh, no said recently. No I mean, you know, you if anybody wants to go down that road, um, I mean, we can, but I don't want to. I think the biggest thing here, my biggest takeaway was the NCAA asked 
for this in particular. Dating back years ago, ironically, because of something involving Ole Miss with Shea Patterson, they altered their transfer waiver rules to basically force players to throw their current school under the bus to get eligibility elsewhere. Happened with Ole Miss and the misleading. It happened at Texas A&M, where apparently Jimbo Fisher was directing players to commit NCAA violations. It was unfounded, but that was the basis of the waiver. Happened with Justin Fields at Georgia. He wanted to go play at Ohio State. That, that was as transparent as possible, but he had to, in order to get eligibility, bring Georgia, his previous school, into it to make that happen. The NCAA, because of Shea Patterson, asked for things like this to go on. So when, when people throw out the phrase, oh, he's playing the race card, he's doing what he has to do to get eligible because the NCAA set a precedent that says throwing your previous school under the bus is what will get you eligible. And on top of that, I think Georgia is also in part to blame here. I'm confused as to why they are fighting this. Because... Haven't they, haven't they pushed back on other intra-conference transfers? That, and they pushed back on Justin Fields yeah. at first. And then you realize we're, we're not going to go down that road. But why are you getting involved at all? You don't, Ole Miss is not on the schedule. Otis Reese will not play against Georgia. And let's be honest here, you're not meeting them in the SEC championship while he's on the roster. So why are you fighting this at all? Because now all of this comes out and Georgia has to address yet again issues with race when if they just rubber stamp this, the, his waiver and the reason why he's asking for it never gets out. So I'm confused as to what George's game is here because nobody would know this is the reason why if they just said, hey, you know what? We're cool with him getting eligible. We're going to stay out of it. Just NCAA, let him play. We're we're good. We're not going to get involved. But now that they're pushing back on it, the headlines today are former Georgia player alleges these incidents. And it's a little bit difficult for Georgia to, to push back on this when, number one, They did lose a quarterback to immediate eligibility because of an incident that absolutely did happen because the kid got kicked out of school for for saying that. And now you've got current Georgia players corroborating the other story. So two of the three things that he lists have been proven because the kid that said that racial slur was kicked out of school for it, so it happened. And the other one, current Georgia players are saying happened. You can't really push back on something like that, can you? It's it's a little bit different. And I'm as skeptical as most people when you see claims like this one because often, especially recently, they have been disproven. But this guy's got receipts, at least two of them, and one of them is coming from current players on George's team. It's kind of hard to just throw out the, oh, he's playing the race card when... I, I, They've got receipts for these things. Hey, Dad, what's your take on all this? I am with you guys, obviously, and you know I've said it many times about the one-time transfer. It makes too much sense. It's, we talk about the vice president of common sense a lot, Richard. This is a, an op, this is a time for that, and there needs to be a guaranteed window of, of decision making for the, for these guys. They, they 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 when you enroll at your new university, you should know within thirty days. It's not that difficult. 
to make a ruling, one way or the other. I honestly, you know, for the most part, don't care what the ruling is. But they should not be held in limbo like this. That's ridiculous. As far as Reese's comments go, I mean, it's not super surprising. We already, like we said with the Justin Fields thing, we, we had seen this in the past. He's got his teammates backing him up on these stories. This is just such a no-brainer. And Borky's right. What is the, the, the benefit for Georgia to do this? I mean, I guess you could say, well, if the, he gets away with it, then somebody else. Well, Justin Fields already did. He already he already transferred and got eligible for basically the same thing. So what are we talking about here? It's just more typical NCAA, SEC bureaucracy foolishness. It's just it's just more of the same, and it will probably never end. I will say this. One thing Sankey says makes a lot of sense, that if I'm Ole Miss at the next whatever meeting, I guess that'll be in Destin in the spring. No help to Otis Reese there, but I'm – Calling for an amendment to get kids eligible, you know, we're going to do away with this unwritten rule of sitting out a year, whatever it is. Well, it's not unwritten. I mean, uh, and, whatever and it is, the I'm, interesting part, it is a I'm rule. pushing for it. And Greg Sankey said, we got a rule in place. And if everybody was so intent on having this not be the case, why don't, why don't the school presidents change the rule? Here's one other thing that's interesting. It's not apples to apples. But it is fruit to fruit. So the difference is we're talking about intra-conference. Georgia was just on the receiving end of eligibility granted immediately for a transfer. Yeah. JT Daniels just left the West Coast and who the University of Southern California. Too. Who who said in his his I'm transferring out. I still love Southern Cal and you know he left the door open to maybe go back when he entered the portal. This is not even the same thing. Reese seems to have left under duress. But the NCAA ruled quickly on that. Of course. And he's eligible immediately. Of course. In a year where nobody's burning up a year of eligibility. And That's the other thing. And a ruling happened yesterday that further underscores the point. I, I mean, I try not to be black helicopter guy, but JT Daniels gets eligible almost immediately at Georgia, a high-profile quarterback at a high-profile school. But South Carolina, a guy named Jalen Brooks, who transferred from Wingate, got denied his eligibility by the NCAA yesterday. A Wingate transfer. Didn't come from Kentucky, didn't come from Tennessee or Florida. The kid came from freaking Wingate and cannot be eligible right away because why? But JT Daniels is eligible right away because why? Well, it's, it's simple. Power five, power school to power school gets, gets the, the immediate nod of approval. Of course. Lower school to power school, you got a chance. Power school to lower school, it's probably not going to happen for you. Casey in Beaumont says, I believe you should have to stay with the school you signed with. No transfers. Coaches have to build a roster. If kids are allowed to transfer at will, not fair to the institution they signed with. So if a coach just punches you in the mouth, you got to stick it out. Okay. Well, I responded, okay, so coaches can't leave or be fired prior to the completion of their contracts? Exactly. Well, and that's just not how it works for if I'm Otis Reese, the chemistry major, and I just want to transfer from Georgia to Ole Miss, there's not even any paperwork in that. I just show up at Ole Miss and enroll, and I'm, I'm good to go. I mean, people forget these guys. This is just another example of, you know, they're human beings. They have some rights and privileges. You and can't tell Lucas, a kid I can't, you're not allowed to ever leave that school. 
Lucas in Union sends us a message on the C Spire text line. He says, if what Otis Reese is saying is true, why didn't he come out with this when he initially transferred? Saying it now makes it seem like he thinks nothing else has worked. Maybe this will. Lucas, I think he's just making it public now. I mean, I think this was the basis of his transfer request, and he didn't really have interest in airing dirty laundry about Georgia for the entire public. But when you get to the point where you're four days from kickoff, and you've still not gotten anything from the NCAA or the SEC, and there's no reason for the SEC to rule before the NCAA does. But if you still haven't gotten anything from the NCAA, you then put this out in public to try and get some of the you know, student-athlete true believers out there to try and champion your case a little bit. I haven't seen just a legion of those people coming to Otis Reese's defense today. Have I just missed it? Or is it different when it's Ole Miss? Different, different when it's Mississippi? I guess probably different. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydab. You want to be part of the conversation? Ceasefire text line, best way to do it. Let's go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dad, are you a bowler? You got all those Hawaiian shirts that button up, kind of look like bowling shirts these days. You a bowler? It's a fat man sport. Uh, but that said, I like to bowl, but I'm not very good at it. What's your uh, What's your best ever round bowling? Ah, uh, like 150 or something like that. Okay, but it's enjoyable. Morky bowler? No, never. I mean, I have, but no. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you just asked him, like Morky Nazi. I mean, <laughs> just don't be so offended. Bowling is fun. It is fun. I, I probably bowl, I don't know, once a year, maybe twice a year. I'm probably like you, hey, Dad, maybe 140, 150 best all-time score. Yeah. just It's never been a regular thing. Yeah. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Sarah Lyons from McKee's Rocks which is suburb, is 96 years old, and she is a bowler. She says she's going to be 97 on November 30th. Hey! As a 96-year-old, she just bowled a perfect 300. Whoa. That's awesome. That's awesome. She She said, I had all strikes in a row, not an open frame at all. Nine or more pins with every ball. Her friends and family called uh, the local news agency. She said, that's hard. It's hard for a woman to do that, especially seniors. Lyons doesn't just toss out strikes. She belongs to two card clubs, jogged for seven years, and worked with Meals on Wheels for 15 years. Said she took care of her husband. He had Alzheimer's for five years. And her focus on family is what keeps her going. Says, God gave me good health and he gave me a good family. And apparently a good right arm. She said, it's how I feel inside. I just have to keep going. I won't give up. I won't give up no matter how old I am. Hold a 300. You think she's a hustler? A gambler? She might be. I always thought that Bo Jackson was the greatest athlete I shared a birthday with, but evidently it's this lady. Sarah Lyons. Story from CBS Pittsburgh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. She was not rocking a bowling shirt either. Well, now that, that's something we need to correct. She needs to 
get with the fashion. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't tell what her shoes looked like. <laughs> I don't know. I just saw that story. kind of caught my eye. It's pretty cool. Oh, it is cool. Yeah. 96 years old and still, still not just bowling, but doing all that other stuff. We would all should be so lucky. Bowling is one of the few sports that is still fun, even if you are no good at it. It's true. Like golf and something else, according to Tin Cup. <laughs> Greg and <laughs> Nettleton says, slow your roll, Granny, slow your roll. <laughs> Borky Bowl? He can't even walk past a garbage can without a major injury. <laughs> I'd break a thumb or something, man. Have to have surgery. Just drop the ball right on your foot. Mike in Oxford pointed to the passage from Otis or from uh, from Georgia's comments, where they said we cannot comment on student athlete eligibility matters due to federal privacy laws, but we would be happy to share our full response to Otis Reese's waiver request if he provides a signed release allowing us to do so. Mike says Otis needs to sign the release. Let's see what UGA has to say then. I agree with that. Put 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 the ball in their court. I'm sure the signature of the release from him would get lost in the mail and would take a while. Oh, yeah. See, that that's the insane part about it. It's Wednesday. He plays Saturday, or is supposed to, and he transferred in January. That That's the insane part about this. It's that it's having it had to get to this point this late in the process for there to be any kind of momentum, and it's negative momentum. All the bureaucracy of the NCAA, all the thousands of people that work there. I mean, how do you not have a person whose job it is just to sit down and do this? Or multiple people. There should be a fleet of them. And they come in, and within 30 days, we have an answer. Period. If I don't get an answer within 30 days, I'm automatically eligible. And especially this year. Like, I get it taking a little bit longer in a year that you claim counts. But you're giving everybody this year back. You have announced to everyone that this year does not count. So why are you even denying waivers anyway? It's not a slippery slope because you can say next year, hey, it was a COVID year. Back to normal now. And maybe get some legislation in that's a little more uniform and makes sense. This is ridiculous. And, And the legislation that would be more uniform and makes sense... One-time transfer, penalty-free, immediate eligibility across the board, everybody. But do not come to us asking for a special exception for a second transfer. You get one shot, if you didn't get it right the first time, to get it right the second time. If you transfer a second time, you sit out for a year, period. There's no debate, no discussion. Whether it's a sick family member, a death in the family, lack of playing time, whatever it is, no exceptions. But you get one freebie. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. The ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. We will return to the Otis Reese story later in the show this afternoon as part of the college football fix, plus a bunch of other things to get to. But uh, we also want to jump ahead right now and uh, listen to the conversation that Mississippi State Media had yesterday with uh, K.J. Costello, starting quarterback for the Bulldogs, as they get set for the season opener against LSU. First question that K.J. received was, 
what it was like to prepare for an opponent that you don't know a whole lot about. Yeah, so, you know, in my career, four years, I mean, I've experienced a couple of these games where you go into a game, first game of the year, and, um, you know, you don't necessarily have any legit tape to match it up to in terms of scheme matching up with personnel. Um, So that's always a little bit difficult, trying to match tape from, you know, where Coach Pelini was at prior to personnel um, that LSU had last year, which most of them are now gone, but you can still see quite a bit of them on tape. Um, so that's always a bit of a challenge. Um, but, you know, there's still tendencies that he's shown for the past, whatever, 10, 15 years he's been coaching, going all the way back to, you know, Tech, when Nebraska played Tech and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's got some some basic patterns. I mean, you never know, once again, I mean, I'm not trying to make too many judgments here because he's got different personnel than where he's been the past couple of years, obviously, potentially some of the you know, best defensive players in the country. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how the scheme's going to line up, but we're going to focus on doing our job and doing it well. Um, and uh, I think we did that today in practice. KJ, in this offense, I know you're. it's a little bit more like throwing to space versus throwing to a guy or a specific spot. I guess, what's that challenge in terms of that? And I guess I know Coach Lee talks a lot about that this is an offense that you got to rep out a lot. Is there? How do you feel like you've come along with that? And I guess how different does that compare to maybe what you've done in the past in terms of what you're looking at, play snap to snap? Yeah, I think a, little, a switch flip today for me, I think it was the best practice since I've been here, um, not just for me personally, but as the offensive unit, um, without a doubt, energy, tempo, execution. Um, you know, I felt like was thinking the least that I've been thinking in two months, um, which is fun. Um, I think that I never really even played that way at Stanford unless we were in a two-minute drill. Um, So I kind of tapped into something good there. Um, We're going to try and build off that each day. That's the standard moving forward. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a philosophical difference. I mean, I could sit up here all day and talk to you about it. But at the end of the day, um, we really are just trying to do our thing and do it fast and, and do it right. And, you know, thinking about it. I mean, we've, we've really only been at this thing for two months, you know? Um, so today was an incredibly good feeling as a whole, um, just looking around at the dudes afterwards, um, you know, scout, even though scout defense guys are still studs, not, not wanting to pass for us the same, you know, not wanting to come up and press, you know, um, easy completions, move the ball, um, run when you got, not, you know, just like really simple stuff. Um, I think we got to build off that and make that the standard. AJ, you being from California and starting over two dozen games at Stanford, it's, it's kind of all you've ever known. And, and here you are now at Mississippi State, about to start, you know, for State at LSU. How weird is it going to be? How different do you expect it to be? And, and just what do you expect your emotions to be when you run out onto that field and, you know, you're the quarterback for somebody other than Stanford? Yeah, what was going to happen one way or another, whether, whether I went to the next level or not or, you know, playing, continuing to play football, but I think football's football. I think that's something I kind of realized. Um, you know, I had such an incredible experience at Stanford. I thought the whole, you know, I thought college football functioned the same way everywhere. I obviously um, realized it didn't. Like, I, I, I knew it didn't, but being in Leach's system and, you know, being the leader of it, driving the energy, driving the focus, um, you know, I think – People have asked me a lot this week across the board, where, where are my emotions at? What am I, I mean, honestly, I'm not thinking too much about LSU whatsoever. I've been here two and a half months. I'm just starting to feel a flow in this offense. 
I want to feel it every day. You know, I want to continue to, to, um, master our craft, um, and then, you know, react to what they're going to do. And I think it's a perfect week to just focus on us because of the fact that new D coordinator, new defense, new personnel, um, you can, you know, sit up all night talking about what you think they might do and then get up and, and not be able to do what you're supposed to do or guy messes up or you don't get to a base check that you've been working for a month and a half. So I'm going to make sure that I'm on uh, doing my job and that's where my focus is. You sort of hit on this in your answer to, to Robbie's question at the beginning, but you know, the last two years of Texas Tech for Mike Leach overlapped with the first two years of Bo Pelini at Nebraska. Has he, has he related anything to you as far as, you know, what he remembers of that defense and those matchups? Yeah, Coach Leach has an incredible um, memory bank, to say the least. Um, but I think a lot of coaches do, I, you know, almost Sean McVay-like. I mean, he's out there talking detail-ish type stuff from 10 years ago, you know. Um, we've pulled up some tape. We've seen it. Um, I love watching the Texas Tech tape, actually. I watched the whole Graham Harrell season, and, and they came across Nebraska there. And, you know, I you see a style. Um, I've seen a couple styles like this. There's not a, um, a thousand coaching trees out there in college football. I've seen some styles that are similar to Pelini's. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Leach has a good way to attack it. It's just a couple quick follow-ups to things that you've already said. Real quickly, you said you watched a lot of Graham Harrell. Is that something the coaching staff, specifically Mike Leach, likes to have you do, or is that something you kind of take upon yourself? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I asked for the tape. You know, I mean, I wanted to see um, who was the most successful in the system. I mean, who exactly was the most successful? Obviously, I was able to see with my own eyes Gardner and, and Gordo, but I didn't, you know, I was – on the sideline game planning against them. I wasn't watching him play. So I had those two. And then I wanted one that was a little bit further back in time to kind of see how this offense could potentially evolve or kind of stayed the same. Um, and I was also, you know, just want to see a little bit of what he was doing at Texas tech. So, you know, I asked our film guy for it in summertime. Um, and, and then I talked to Leach about it and, and he actually said, uh, Graham was, was a great one to watch in terms of, his real subtle movement in the pocket and, um, you know, just his efficiency in the offense um, and taking what the defense gives him. And then another thing you said earlier about uh, the switch kind of flipping, is that something that you've kind of been waiting for in all these weeks in training camp and it finally clicked and it's something that you can carry into previous practices or, and then kind of what went into that, that flip switching? Cause you said it was kind of a collective thing throughout the offense. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm a little bit lucky in terms of the fact that I've had the switch flipped for me before in college football. Um, you know, I mean, was a backup going in my uh, redshirt freshman year or my freshman year. I thought I was going to play. And then all of a sudden concussion happened or, you know, our starter got knocked out. And that next week practice was totally different for whatever reason. I'd already gotten game reps. The speed was different. Execution was different. An anticipation was just a split second faster um kind of hard to describe but i mean today i think it was just uh god you get in that camp mode you're in a new offense new system new everything and you're doing the same thing every single day um it's hard to find something um that feels drastically different maybe it was the fact that we've you know had a day off yesterday came back had a really good scrimmage saturday um 
you know, we actually started started the offensive period servicing the defense by going up tempo as fast as we could. Went five for five, and all of a sudden that carried over into the tempo that I was um, pushing the offense and, and team period. And I don't know, the switch flipped in terms of I've been operating in a system where I'm battling most of the time getting the playoff before the, the play clock. Um, and now I'm in a system where I'm trying to get that thing off as fast as I can. Um, so it's just a totally um, flip mindset from um, the person driving the ship and, you know, having the center be on board, getting the guys lined up. It's just, um, it's different in that facet. So I think that was more what I was talking about. KJ, you mentioned looking at some of the little things that Graham was doing and some of those other guys, I guess, you know, when you look at it, I mean, beyond the fact, you know, scoring a hundred points and throwing 50 times, like what does success in this offense look like to you? I mean, what do you kind of gather of success in this offense looks like? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> success in this offense, I think, um, a lot of times looks like, uh, the, you know, the defense kind of looking around in, in the third quarter, fourth quarter, like, you know, tired, not really knowing what hit them. They're very scheme-oriented. I mean, I can only speak on our – I mean, what they did to us at Stanford. I watched the game last night. You know, I watched the whole game um, and watched exactly what I did in the day – the day before in practice, they're running the same plays, just trying to visualize, like, how were they able to turn my defense around? And I know all the guys were really talented, and they just hit them and hit them fast. Um, and I know it probably sounds crazy to you guys just saying the same thing, um, but it really is It really is uh, the, t- the tempo and feel at which, you know, Anthony Gordon was able to move along with um, to where DBs didn't want to press, you know, Pass rush gets a little weaker. All of a sudden, checkdowns instead of the linebackers hugging him, you know, he's a yard or two off, and that checkdown goes for twelve instead of one. You know, just simple stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's about it. Really good stuff from KJ Costello, starting quarterback at Mississippi State. We'll unpack and dive a little deeper into some of what he said when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. So there was a lot there from K.J. Costello, from what he knows about LSU going into the opening weekend, uh, being ready to go, having that clicking yesterday in practice that uh, we talked about, and he kind of elaborated on what he really meant there. Borky, I want to start with you. Haydad was there, and I know he's probably got thoughts on much of that. What stood out to you about what K.J. Costello said? You mean aside from the thoughtfulness and general intellect? I mean, that that's a guy that he's clearly very, very smart, but I think something that, that stood out, and you brought it up after you got to interview Mike Leach uh, not too terribly long ago about what he looks for in a quarterback, which is a guy that's obsessed with film in part because he's not. Um, the comparisons that he used. And the amount of references that you know, twenty-three-year-old quarterback was able to look at, talking about past quarterbacks at Washington State and Texas Tech, and how well studied he is on Bo Pelini and his defense, and he looked at Nebraska games, and very clearly seems to be the guy that fits with what Mike Leach told you he was looking for, which is a guy that's obsessed with studying film. Okay. Hey, Dad. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to hit on that, you know, Leach told us about film and, and you've got Costello saying, I, I went and looked back at all of Graham Harrell's games and I sat back and watched all of our games against Washington State to see what was going on there. I mean, that's that's that tells you, you know, without telling you that what Mike Leach wants in a quarterback, K.J. Costello seems to provide. A lot of our, our people in the text line are making the same point. He sounds like a young Mike Leach. He's just, mm. he's sort of, you know, monotone, obviously, but... Just the way that he talks, and and, and a little bit of our manner, the mannerisms that you could see on on film when we were doing these Zoom calls, not film, but you know what I'm trying to say. Now, I, I got a kick out of him just calling him Leach a couple of times. I mean, they must have a pretty good relationship. I can't imagine there's a lot of college football players who just call. You know, can you imagine Mac Jones going, "Yeah, me and Saban were headed to uh, watch." <laughs> I can't, I can't see that happening. So that they must have a, a pretty unique relationship. I wonder if that's partially because he's older. And he's I'm graduated sure. and came in, and maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't think it was disrespectful. It does. Or no, certainly wasn't no, no. intended that way. It, come, it comes across as they just have a very, you know, mature relationship. The same way you call me, hey, Dad, he, can, he calls him Leach. He obviously feels like that's, that's not a problem for him. That's why veteran quarterbacks are, are important more at 11. No doubt. Yeah. But I like the confidence. I, I, I You know, I like... I like the way you know he he's, he's he seems to be propping up his teammates, and then you know he had some more to say a little later in the press conference about that. You know, it, it's obvious he believes they can get this done, and we'll see what, what what that does on Saturday, though. So he elaborated on the you know the offense clicked yesterday, and it was the best practice they had had, and said it's not the first time that he has had that feeling. You know, installing a new offense in a lot of ways has got to feel like drinking out of a fire hose. You, you get all the information, you have to try and process it, you're maybe able to, you know, be functional, but the point when you get past just being functional and, you know, being able to stand upright and able to understand concepts and almost know exactly what your coach is thinking before he calls the play, where you start seeing things in the exact same way as the play caller, it feels like maybe that's more what he's alluding to. Yeah, I mean that's what you want, right? That's the the Breeze Payton relationship where they, the 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 quarterback just becomes an extension of what the coach is trying to do, and they don't really have to. You know, they, they start seeing the same things, and you know what the coach is wanting to do is what the quarterback is wanting to do. If Mississippi State can get that kind of relationship, and that's got to be very tough when you consider the conde- how condensed practice has been to have no spring together. This isn't a, a South Carolina situation where, you know, Costello came with Leach. This is, you know, these are his first few weeks of practice. So yeah. if they can get anything close to that, that's going to be a good thing for Mississippi State. You, you mentioned it. Two different people have said that Costello sounds a lot like Leach. Donald in Oxford says his talk track and being monotone sounds like what you think Mike Leach sounded like at 23 years old. And then also, Costello sounds like a young Mike Leach. Got a question as well in here, and it was, I've heard them talk about MSU's offense attacking open space, which has at times on this particular radio show been a bit of a punchline, especially when it was referring to Phil Longo's offense at Ole Miss. (laughs) What are they talking about? They're talking about that the receivers have a little bit of freedom. And and that's not to say there aren't defined routes, and that's sort of where the Longo talk came. That it was, you know, AJ Brown said the route was get open. Yeah, there are routes. There there are there are places you're supposed to be. But as the quarterback, you're supposed to be able to find your guys 
in space to have room to make things happen after the catch. It's sort of what we talk about possession through the passing game. You know, this isn't, you know, when people hear air raid and they just think, okay, it's four verts all the time and we're just going down the field. A lot of the passing plays are designed to be short pass plays that create things after the catch that are basically the same as the run, especially with what they're going to do with Kylan Hill. He's going to have 80, 80, 70 to 80 catches possibly, but a lot of those are going to be within a yard of the line of scrimmage. They're really no different than a carry uh, for him. That That's what that means. And the NFL obviously doesn't run in the air raid at all, but have you ever seen an image of an NFL route tree or just a passing play in an it, NFL playbook? It's full playbook? of options. It, yeah. looks like, it looks like physics. Pretty much, It looks yeah. like something you know, a scientist would design. And, and look, in, in fairness to Phil Longo, I mean, there have been so many jokes told about, you know, his, his entire playbook fits on an index card and there are only, you know, eight or 12 or 14 concepts or, or whatever that is. Phil Longo and I, we had a pretty good relationship. And when I would go to interview him on Friday before game days for the, the pregame show, we would, I don't mean like watch film and it was like, oh, let me sit down and study the opponent. But, but he would explain things to me and we would kind of talk conceptual stuff. And his offensive philosophy was not get open, you know, whether A.J. Brown said that or not. It was option routes where receivers have the freedom to read what defenses are doing. Or at least, in theory, that's what it was supposed to be. And so if you've got an option to run a post or a flag, you know, based on how the corner is covering you or what the safety is doing, you make your decision on the fly. And there's supposed to be a good enough relationship between the quarterback and the receiver that they're on the same page and they're able to both see the same thing. The quarterback should recognize the corner is on the inside, he's going to break it to the outside, and then it works. It doesn't always work that way. You see miscommunication even at the NFL level sometimes. But that was the theory behind it. Now, part of also of what Phil Longo talked about was simplifying things for the quarterback at the line. He wanted his quarterback to go to the line and see where the safety was, see how the corners were set up, and not worry about the checks at the line of scrimmage for the defensive front. Just get them in the right play. He wanted the offensive lineman to take care of the checks at the line of scrimmage, where in more complex offenses, especially at the professional level or at a high-level pro-style college offense, which is what K.J. Costello, by the way, was talking about in his time with Stanford, where the quarterback's making all the checks for everybody at the line. Yeah, or like you said right there, like with, with the Joe Moorhead going back to the day he had us there to sort of go through his offense. That sounds a lot like that. That there's just so much information to process, not only once before the ball is snapped, but once the ball is snapped. I think that's part of the reason it, it wasn't overly successful at Mississippi State. It, it just it, it was it was a little too much, too much information. That's... Mike Leach is Mike Leach and Phil Longo sort of similar in that. There's going to be less thinking and more doing and, in those offices. And oh, by the way, do you know who close friends are? Of Mike Leach, Mike and, Leach and Phil Longo. Oh, I can believe that. Yeah, they talked on a weekly basis, even during the season. Phil said the hardest part was he gets up early in the morning, and Leach is not an early riser. And so, if he wanted to talk, you know, X's and O's with Mike Leach, it had to happen at you know. 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning, because those were the hours that Leach operated under. He's kind of a different guy. wonder what Mike Leach's red zone offense would have been with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. Bet it's not the second-to-last in college football. 
but it would have been a little different. Who who am I to know? That is one cool thing, something you guys pointed out, that the lack of crowds in the NFL has, you've really been able to see and hear how much goes on at the line of scrimmage. Quarterback is setting protection protections, quarterback is changing protections, quarterback is altering routes, flipping plays. I mean, you get to hear all that because there are no fans. It is wild how much information after the huddle and they line up is given and changed before every single play. It's, they're speaking a different you can language. Practice all day when when it's your job and you're there from eight in the you know seven in the morning to seven at night, you can do those kind of things. Yeah. You can't really do it in the you know, three hour daily window, four or five days a week they give you at the NCAA. Really interesting stuff. Maybe my favorite thing he said was at Stanford he was hustling to the line, trying to get the play off before the play clock expired. And in this offense, it's go as fast as you can to get the playoff. Doesn't even have to really look at the play clock. Certainly a different philosophy. Yes. Sanford running the ultimate, sometimes two tight end pro set offense, which is kind of rare in college football these days. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Houston has another game that has uh, been postponed. Their, uh, their matchup with North Texas is off due to... Yep. The C word. Wait. COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. Scheduled for Saturday, postponed. Easy Fourth there. season opener. The Cougars have been unable to play due to coronavirus. Said in a statement on Wednesday that four positive COVID-19 tests this week and subsequent contact tracing, this is North Texas saying this, left the Mean Green unable to field a team for the game. Both schools are looking to reschedule if possible. Houston said, yeah, we got dates open in February. Houston previously had opening games against Rice, Memphis, and Baylor postponed or canceled. In all four cases, Houston opponents had coronavirus issues that did not allow them to play. I'm sure you've noticed Orgerson a common start thing. showing up on campuses. Just, yeah. Hey, you guys want to play? I don't know hey. North Texas's case, but I, I don't know if you've noticed a general common theme with these outbreaks among teams, where they come from. No, what you got? Off-campus parties, post-game celebration, stuff like that. Well, Everyone Houston hasn't had any post-games to celebrate. Right. No, but th- So this, this game notwithstanding, but there's been 20 now, uh, postponements or cancellations, and it pops up in almost every story in relation to that. Positive cases resulting from off-campus party. Memphis got a game canceled because they all went on a party bus after they beat Allegedly. Arkansas State. Yeah, they, they had cl- players say that didn't happen. It, there were some eyewitnesses of certain players getting out of that particular party bus. I don't know how much you can deny that. However, that's kind of where this is coming from. I mean, that's in part why I think you're not seeing it in the NFL. I mean, I'm, they're, they're getting tested daily and stuff like that, but they are completely, one, they're professionals, mostly adults with wives and kids, and so it's a little bit easier to, you don't have FOMO when you're 28 with a wife and three kids. You're not really going to the club that often. 
but they're also incentivized to not go out because it, if you do and you get COVID, even if you just break protocol, you get fined and cut. In college, it's like, you know, you quarantine, but you keep your scholarship, and 19-year-olds are going to do what 19-year-olds do. You got to keep them. I mean, it's- Kevin Sumlin is the the lone pushback on that. You remember that Kevin? It's you know yeah. two months ago. Kevin Sumlin at Arizona, they kicked the guy off the team. They're like, if you're not going to do what it takes yep. to, uh, of course, that was before the Pac-12 shut the football season down. By the way, their announcement is or their vote is coming tomorrow. I'm sure we're all in pins and needles for that. Can't wait. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, this thing's about responsibility, and if you take care of business, you're probably going to be okay. It's not 100%. doesn't make you bulletproof. Doesn't, you know, It's not a silver bullet. But if you limit the contact of the guys that are getting tested on a daily basis, or excuse me, not a daily basis, but a, 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 a thrice-weekly basis, then you, you got a chance. Hey, we were talking about the daily testing and you know people saying, oh, this is going to be a game-changer for the Big Ten, and we all kind of look at that at some skepticism. But apparently the game changer is, with daily testing, contact tracing is far less necessary. Makes sense. Because you're getting a result every single day. And so it's not like, wow, we got these results from three days ago. Now let's recreate everybody that this person has been in touch with or in close contact with or extended close contact with over the last 24, 48, 72 hours. You're not having to do that because you've got today's test results You would, yesterday's. You would know tomorrow's. better than I. Didn't the SEC recently come into some kind of partnership with a, a third-party testing site that makes their protocols better? Yeah, they, they there was a news release, I think, early this morning about a company who kind of specializes in disaster response. I don't think that necessarily they were a medical company. But they did, like, organization and distribution and staffing for, I mean, I'm using a bad example here, but, like, the plague. You know, they, they deployed to Liberia. Here it is. PAE is the name of the company. Um, where is it? I read this entire thing. I was kind of impressed earlier today. So the SEC has selected PAE to provide COVID-19 testing services for in-season fall sports. They've been working together since mid-August to implement testing protocols. Teaming with Premier Medical Group, PAE deployed test teams to each campus earlier this month to begin testing and all related logistics for SEC sports. They say that PCR testing, the well, you know what that means, the, the longer test, is the current gold standard in the COVID-19 virus world, but alternative testing methods may be considered if sufficient data develops to support these methods. Let's see. PAE served time on the front lines of the Ebola crisis, mobilizing and supporting treatment units, and a field hospital in Liberia for USAID. They are kind of running the state of Georgia's response to COVID-19. 
mobilized a 200-bed alternate care facility in the World Congress Center in Atlanta. So they've done a lot of cool things, but but I think it's not so much that they are a medical company as much as they're like a logistics and supply chain and management staffing type company. To me, though, the most interesting in the release that, that the SEC sent out, the most interesting part, though, was that they believe that PCR testing is still the gold standard. And once data becomes available to use alternate testing methods, they will transition to that. My guess is before too much longer, we see the SEC go to daily testing. Yeah, especially yeah. considering how successful the NFL has been with it. Yeah, yeah, and they have the money. So, well, and we 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 saw the news yesterday that they, was it um, Nexion was that the name of the company yesterday? The the same company that's doing the the tracing for oh yeah the little NFL. armbands the, yeah you know taking freedoms away. <laughs> yeah, that one. I made you laugh, hey Dad. Yeah, <laughs> I made you laugh. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Jeff says that all Tulane University students who are attending classes on campus get tested twice a week. Okay. Tim in Tupelo says the leech attack sounds great, and I certainly hope it works, but if it doesn't, we will have one tired defense by game end. I mean, you say that, but as we talked about yesterday on the show, only 15% of uh, Mike Leach's drives in his entire coaching career have ended three and out. They keep the ball. They just keep it through passing and not running. I'm not going to ask you to do the homework on this, mm-hmm. but I would be curious what that number goes to if you go like four and out. I'm not talking about a punt. Like, yeah, I, 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 I you throw and you pick up a first podcast. down on the first play yeah. of a drive and then go three and out. I, I wonder if it yeah. changes dramatically there. It, it, it might. I don't know the answer to that. But wonder if average time per drive is something that you can get without having to kill yourself to do or just it. Average time of possession yeah. would not be difficult at all to find, you would think. Yeah. That, that, that is, I mean, that is the downside, though, of that hurry up offense. If you go to Baton Rouge and you go three and out in 35 seconds, and then LSU runs down the field, and then you go, you happen to go three and out again in 45 seconds, and they run the ball down your throat again, you're buried in this hole rather quickly. That's just, And that's like that with everybody, not just Mississippi State. There's your downside to that kind of offense, though. If it's not and, clicking, then you really, really put your defense in a bad spot. And, and hey, Dad, that being the case for Mike Leach offenses has been the exception but not the rule, but you generally get a game or two just kind of through the years. They're... they're, they're couple of outstanding teams. One that was just outstanding at Texas Tech. One that was outstanding at Washington State. Like, elite, top five type teams competing for the college football playoff. But even in those seasons, it's like there would be one game where you look up and you're like, you can't do anything offensively. Yeah. And that's frustrating when you watch an offense like that. A lot of times it was the Washington game, you know, and then the the talent difference is real there. Washington is a team that, you know, recruits at a much higher standard than does Washington State. So we'll have to see. I think it was was either last year or two years ago. Southern Cal, like a Friday night game. Oh no, no, it was it was it was against Cal. Oh yeah, you're right, you're right. It was a Friday night against Cal, and it was like 
maybe I had a vested interest in that one, and it was like, you got to be kidding me. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, last year they blew, what, a, a 20-point lead and gave up 40 points in the fourth quarter to UCLA, something like that? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. strange things happen. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour next. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. I don't know what kind of a student Mr. Haydad was growing up, but he has done some homework of his own volition. He has done a little bit of digging and has some uh, some information to share with all of us. Mike Leach in season openers or games number one at his stops along the way. Yeah, I got into that this morning. I want to make it very clear that we're talking about Mike Leach's first game at his new school, for those who don't get that. Uh, no, hey, Dad, he's only played, he's only had two, two quarterbacks, quarterbacks to ever years. play he their knew. first conference game. It's amazing. Right. Uh, so I went and looked at that. 2000 uh, Texas Tech, Texas A&M was their first game. Uh, Kingsbury, 28 of 50, 291. Couple touchdowns, couple of picks. 2009, Washington State versus Colorado. That was not a good Colorado team. I want to point that out. They went. This was their only win. They 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 beat Washington State in this game and then went one and eleven. Uh, but Connor Halliday was 32 of 60, 401 yards, four touchdowns, two picks. And then I went a little a step further and found the first game against their ranked opponent. Uh, 2000, they played number one Nebraska. That was a pretty good team. Uh, Kingsbury and BJ Simons are combined 22 of 48. 181 yards, two touchdowns, so not good. Uh, then they the Oregon game in 2012, uh, it was Connor Holiday again and Jeff Toole combined 37 of 64, 410 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. They scored 29. The problem was they gave up 51 uh, in <clears> that game. So, so, so a bit of a mixed bag in terms of, of production. You know, that Nebraska team really uh, really held them down, but, but by the same token, Washington State was able to move the ball. Uh, pretty effectively on Oregon in 2012, and that was not a good Washington State team. They went three and nine. Um, so, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, we had a message earlier. Somebody said, um, "But guys, we're talking about SEC defenses. We're talking about SEC defenses. It's going to be different." And isn't that isn't that the great unknown here, or at least the the most intriguing part of the, I, I hate to call it experiment, that sounds like I'm being flippant yeah. about it. I, it's not an experiment, but that's the most intriguing part of the decision that John Cohen made to bring in Mike Leach is, yes, the defenses, generally speaking, in the SEC are different. When, when we get to the biggest stages and we see the best of the SEC against the best of the Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, the defenses are not equal. The SEC almost every time has an advantage. But on a week-to-week basis, is that going to be the case? My thought Mike Leach, when he was at Kentucky as an offensive coordinator a long time ago, they put up some big numbers. They didn't win a ton of games, but they put up some big numbers. Had some success against SEC defenses. Isn't that the great unknown here, Hayden? Well, what I would say is this, that Mike Leach, when he had Big 12 talent, was able to compete and win against Big 12 defenses and teams. When he had Pac-12 talent, he was able to win against Pac-12 defenses and teams. He has SEC talent now. 
You know, and I think, you know, this, this defense is not as, as good as he wants to be. And the offense probably got some, some work to do as well. But it stands to reason that he'll be able to recruit better at Mississippi State than he did at Texas Tech and than he did at Washington State, and that he'll still be competitive and win ball games against SEC teams. He's a smart coach. He knows how to win. I, I, I get, I get the, the, the trepidation, you know, because there's nobody else in the SEC doing anything like this. But Mike Leach is the guy who, you know, put all this together. I feel pretty confident that Mississippi State this year might be, you know, an interesting one. Although he's got a great quarterback, he's got a great running back, but they, they are going to become a, a very good offensive football team, even in the SEC. What is, are they going to win SEC championships and national titles? I don't know, probably not, if I had to make make a bet on that. But can they basically achieve what Dan Mullen did? Not talking about going to number one, but just on the aggregate. Can they be a consistent 7-8 win team that occasionally jumps up to 9 or 10 and occasionally has a year where you drop back to 6? Yeah, they can certainly do that. We played K.J. Costello for you at the beginning of this hour. It was really insightful. He obviously, hey, Dad, is a thinker. He doesn't just immediately answer questions. It's not just like, you know, just you ask a question and blah, 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 an answer comes out. He's thoughtful. Right. Do you think you would get an honest answer if you said to him, KJ, you came into this expecting to have one year as a grad transfer. This is a free year for everybody. It doesn't count against eligibility. Could you see this being a two-year thing as opposed to a one-year thing? I don't think you get a, a real answer, but you might. But if you got the real answer, it would be no. I mean, I think he's 23 years old. I think he's probably ready to make uh, his move on. I don't, I'm not think he's wanting to be another Chris Winky and start his NFL career at 25, 26 years old. I, I would, I would imagine that. Yeah, this is. He was a grad transfer. He was only planning to come in for one year. I can't see a scenario. I can, I could be wrong, but I can't see a scenario where he would stay for for the 2021 season. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. College football fix is coming your way to begin the five o'clock hour in just a couple of minutes. We'll be right back. Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. College football fix is coming up. We'll get into the all SEC teams as announced by the media. We've also got the predicted order of finish for those. Get to that coming up in just a second. Seaspire text line is open 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. Seaspire, they're always asking the big questions like, why wait for the next device to get the device you want? Other carriers make you sit tight until the next big devices come out, and then maybe they'll give you a deal on the iPhone that you want. You know it. Seaspire knows it. We all know that that is bull. That's why they're bringing you the best deal on your choice of iPhone today. Whether you're upgrading, adding a new line, or switching from another carrier, this is the deal you've been holding out for. $100 off the iPhone at your local Seaspire store and online at cspire.com. Time for the college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough, including the F-150, Super Duty, and the Ranger Truck Month happening at your local 
Mississippi Ford dealers test drive one today. So Ole Miss has updated its game day policies. Here you go. This is some hard-hitting stuff. Designated fan color for each game will be announced weekly via the Ole Miss football social media channels. So you'll know what you're supposed to wear on Monday or Tuesday. The Ole Miss Student Union will be closed to the public on game days. It's open during normal operating hours to students with a valid student ID. You'll have to come up with other restroom arrangements. Select fans will take part in game day on the video board from their home as part of the home team experience. There will be no pom-pom giveaways in the stands or any on-field presentations. The Ole Miss Band, the Pride of the South, and the Spirit Squads will be located within the student section, so not going to be on the field at all. In accordance with SEC policy, beer stands will not pour beer into cups to increase the speed of service and decrease the duration of wait time in the concourse. Does that mean you get, like, a cup and a aluminum can and pour it yourself? They won't give you the can, though, because you could throw it on the field. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they feel like they can isolate people throwing things when there are only 16,000 people there. It's true. Yeah, Keep your shoes so. on, ladies. No refillable stadium cups this year. I wonder why. <laughs> the team bench areas have been extended to run from 15 to 15. Uh, so instead of from the 30 to the 30, you get an extra 30 yards of team bench area. And there's a new ride share drop-off spot that they're announcing you know already, no tailgate. Got to wear uh, no tailgating on campus anywhere. Uh, limit your time on campus to the game only. Grove and Circle may only be used as pedestrian walkways. Fans will be required to wear face coverings at all times, and they are encouraged to wear them while they are sitting in their seats. General bowl seating ticket holders will be assigned specific gates for entry. Each season ticket holder will be provided an on-campus parking pass. All off-campus shuttles will be discontinued for this year. Parking lots open three hours prior to kickoff. Mobile game day tickets, mobile parking passes. All concession stands and vendors will be conducting cashless transactions. And uh, all common water sources in the stadium will be eliminated. No water fountains, no water monsters. Fans will be permitted to bring in one 20-ounce or smaller sealed water bottle. So that's what 2020 looks like in terms of game day policies. I'm really afraid of uh, for the athletic departments, I mean all of them, um, that people will get out of the habit of going to games. They'll find something else to do this year and not go back. And I'm sure they're afraid of that too, but that's what I keep thinking of is you're taking all this away, so you're forcing people to sit at home, and they're going to have watch parties and stuff, and they're going to spend a lot less money, and they're going to sit back and realize, wait, what, what do I drive four hours one way for? Six or seven times a year. Yeah. I, I disagree. I, I hope you're right. Will, will I'm make, afraid of that. make absence make the heart grow fonder. I think people are going to be like, man, I can't wait, especially if the teams are good. You know, Ole Miss should be much better than they were a season ago. Mississippi State is going to be exciting offensively, and you feel like the future of those both of those programs are good. If, if if the teams are good, they're exciting, they're winning, people will come back. I think that may be the key. 
I, I really do think that that may be the key. If you want people to come back, you better be good. You better be, give them a product that they are interested in investing their disposable income in. I think it's going to be hard to get fans to, I mean, some will, obviously, but to support a team that's middling at best. I think that'll be hard. Borky, though, I I think your point is a very real one. I I think that's something that probably keeps John Cohen awake at night, probably keeps Keith Carter awake at night, probably keeps Mitch Barnhart at Kentucky awake, and so on. You know, we got to get through this as quickly as possible. And please, please, please let the people come back. Interesting to see what, what incentives are given next year to get people to buy tickets. There there will be some. There will be some things. I don't know what they're going to be, but... You mean like in terms of increased loyalty points and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. But of course, you know, increased loyalty points, all that gets you is better tickets. If you decide not to buy tickets, I guess it doesn't matter. But there's going to have to be something. I don't know. You're going to have to upgrade, you know... What are you providing in the in the premium areas? You know the quality of food. You know bring, Mississippi State putting beer in the stadium is a good start for them. Obviously, Ole Miss is ahead of them on that. Just just going to be interesting to see what what they do to try to motivate people to buy tickets again. Opening day opponent for Mississippi State, you know, is LSU. Media's all SEC teams came out. There are a bunch of tigers on that. First team: Derek Stingley and Jacoby Stevens, both in the defensive backfield. Stingley a corner, Stevens a safety. Second team on the offensive line, Ed Ingram, wide receiver Terrace Marshall, linebacker Jabril Cox, all-purpose Derek Stingley, and place kicker Cade York. And on the third team, having never taken a snap in the SEC, tight end Eric Gilbert, offensive lineman Aaron De- uh, Austin Deculus, defensive lineman Glenn Logan, return specialist Derek Stingley. So he makes an appearance on the first team, the second team, and the third team, all SEC squads, just for good measure. And their punter, Zach Von Rosenberg, is on third team All-SEC. Ole Miss's opponent, Florida, Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts make the first team. The second team selections, Zach Carter and Kair Elam, and also Marco Wilson, and then Ventrell Miller made third team. Hey, Dad, do you have Mississippi State's in front of you? Uh, only two. Kylan Hill, first team. Errol Thompson, third team. And Ole Misses, you had... Where is it? Two on the preseason All-SEC team. Jerion Ely, second team as a return specialist, third team as an all-purpose player. And Elijah Moore, third team as a wide receiver. That's fair. I think I had Ely as my second team all-purpose guy, I believe. Where did okay? Tell me, Mississippi State's game, Kylan Hill and Errol Thompson was third team. Were you surprised no KJ Costello? Yes and no. I mean, the numbers are going to be there, but at the same time, he just hasn't gotten a lot of, of preseason buzz for whatever reason. You know, everything I've seen has been. Trask, Kellen Mond, uh, some Bo Nix, 
some Mac Jones. It just hasn't been a lot a lot of buzz there. I'd be Tune willing in. to get uh, guess since this is a media poll. A lot, a lot of the people that voted in this have never really seen KJ Costello play. It's possible. That's They've reasonable. seen more Mac Jones than KJ Costello. Tune in to Super Talk on Monday as we learn more about Mississippi's only children's hospital in the Sanderson Farms Championship. No spectators this year at the Sanderson Farms Championship at CCJ. Ticket sales make up a large part of the proceeds that are donated to Batson each year. To offset lost revenue from ticket sales and other events, we're asking individuals, corporations, and businesses around the state to buy specialized made-in-the-USA collector face masks. Goodbye you for your friends, families, employees, and everyone that you love and care about. It's a one-of-a-kind investment in the state's only children's hospital, Batson Children's Hospital, and a great way to show your support for the state's only PGA Tour event, the Sanderson Farms Championship. After you purchase a mask at sandersonfarms.com, we're asking everyone to post a selfie or a group shot showing your support using the hashtag, ha- uh, hashtag AllInForChildrens. So will you help? Will you be all in for Children's? We'll talk more about it on Monday. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau, uh, Bureau. Farm Bureau. We are joined by Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun. He's covered the Florida Gators for a long time, maybe since Moby Dick was a minnow. And uh, he joins us right now. Pat, my friend, how are you? I remember the first game I covered was the day the Beatles came to town. That was a pretty big deal. Pretty, pretty, pretty big deal. Um, I'm an old man is what you're trying to say. I agree. No, I'm not trying to say that. Just having a little bit of fun with you. That's all. Gators. I'm I'm not coming to uh, Oxford this weekend. That's how old I am. So, um, and I and I I hate it. I hate not being able to go there. But it's not just me. I mean, I don't think any of the media are coming from Gainesville, and Mick Hubert's not even making the trip. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a you know, obviously, it's a different world we're living in right now. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, Mick Hubert, the radio play-by-play voice for uh, for Florida, choosing to call the game from a studio in Gainesville. I, I guess health concerns are the uh, the issue, health and travel concerns. And I don't know if anybody else is doing that in the SEC, but that's something that we're seeing a lot with ESPN, where they've got announcers calling games from home. Sure. I, I just hope that this doesn't turn into the norm. No, I don't think you I, – my, my thing, when everybody keeps saying calling it the new norm, and I go, no, it's not It's not the new norm. It's, it's nothing norm about it. We're just going to fight through every week and, and get to games. I mean, let's, let's hope all seven games are played in this conference this week, and then we got to hope that next week we're playing seven more. You know, I, I, I've been talking about this, and I wrote a, a column about it, um, you can get into the college football playoff at five and zero. Oh. So there's, you know, because who knows how many games we're going to play. So there should be a sense of urgency for every team out there. Is there a level of optimism around the the Gators athletic department that um, things are moving as they should? I think they're happy to have a game week. They're happy to be in game week. But like uh, Scott Strickland told me the other day, we've got two more. Or they uh, play, you know, uh, Scott Strickland was, I mean, I'm sorry, Dan Mullen was even saying, look, we could be there Friday getting on the plane. All of a sudden they tell me 10 guys can't make the trip. i got to write the whole game plan differently for 
on uh, Friday night. So I think everybody's a little anxious still. It's not um, – I think things are getting better, but we also know that people are going to be spending more time indoors, especially in the northern climates. And um, we're just – we're you know, again, it's, it's day-to-day, hour-to-hour, as you know. I mean, we were seeing games get canceled again this, today. One did. Yesterday was Notre Dame, which had been – the benchmark for uh, dealing with this, and all of a sudden they had to cancel a game because of positive death. Pat, on the football front, Florida picked by pretty much everybody to either win or finish second. It's it's all about Florida and Georgia in the SEC East. Is this particular Florida team ready to take that step and win the East and assuming we get to December 19th, play in the SEC championship game and have a chance to win it? Well, I, I do think that, that this could be a really good team. I mean, there, there is some holes like every team has. I think if Jake Fromm was playing for Georgia, if he had come back, I don't think Florida would be uh, picked by very many people. I think Florida would – I think it's an uncertainty that they have a quarterback with a new coordinator and a, and a quarterback that's not played at, at Georgia that leads people to look at Kyle Trask. I mean, you know as well as I do – that if you've got your quarterback back and your coaches back and you won your bowl game, you're going to be rated a little higher than maybe you deserve to be rated. In fact, you know, I think Florida being up and and at five is probably a little high until I see this team play um, several games, not just one game, because there are some definite holes on this team, and 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 it's an offensive line that wasn't very good last year. It's the same guys back. All right, maybe they got better. Maybe they didn't. There's no guarantee. So I think we all um, – I think a lot of it, too, is uh, that Mullen is so well thought of as a, a coach and his ability to get teams prepared to play. I think that's one reason why a lot of people uh, think this is his year because Georgia's starting over a quarterback. He's not, and that's where his strength is, is dealing with quarterbacks and dealing with offense. So you mentioned Kyle Trask. Dan Mullen also has a great reputation for developing players and quarterbacks in particular and bringing them along and really seeing pretty significant jumps in year two. We, we don't know what that jump would have ultimately looked like with Felipe Franks after he goes down with the injury. Trask plays really, really well a season ago. What do you anticipate in terms of development from year one as a starter to year two as a starter with Kyle Trask? Well, you know, the biggest thing is, and one of the biggest stories really of this offseason was how Kyle Trask, how hard he worked, um, and he lost some weight, got quicker, got his footwork down better, and that's the kind of things he did during uh, the, the quarantine, I guess you could say, of the summer that everybody was dealing with. And, uh, I, I mean, look, we have not seen him except on Zoom calls, so I'm looking forward to seeing him play a football game because uh, if he's gotten better, that's great news for Florida. You know, Kyle last year did throw some bad balls that were, he got lucky and they got batted down instead of picked off. Uh, so he's got to get better than that. And um, again, he's got four receivers that are all in the NFL that are that he had last year. And he's got a good group this year and we'll see if they're able to step into those shoes. But um, there's no question that Kyle has worked hard at it and we'll see how, how well it pays off. There's no reason to think he won't be a little better this year than actually he was last year. Who's the most important player on the offensive side of the ball, not named Kyle Trask? That's a great question. Um, Thanks. It may be Brett Heggie, uh, who is the starting center, and uh, partly because 
uh, their right guard is out, and so uh, Stuart Reese was kind of going back and forth between right guard and center, the, the Mississippi State transfer, and uh, now is um, going to play right guard. And Brett Heggie has, has been a very good player in Florida, but he's been injured a lot. He needs to stay healthy. And I think if he can stay healthy and be, you know, as a senior, be a leader on that offensive line, get those guys going in the right direction, I mean, that'll be huge. Look, if Florida's offensive line is really good this year, and I'm not saying they will be because they weren't very good last year. But if they are good, and I'm not saying they've got to be the great wall, but if they're good this year, I mean, there's a reason Florida can't win all their games. Uh, you know, and go 10-0, and 0, and then, then we'll see what they do with Alabama, or who I, I would guess is going to be in that that game, but uh, who knows who will be there. So um, I think it's very dependent on the offensive line, and I think Brett, it starts with Brett Heggie in the middle. We, we know, Pat, that coaches are warriors and they're up at night trying to figure out all the angles. What do you think about Ole Miss is keeping Dan Mullen up at night leading into the season opener? Oh, I think it's a quarterback play. because he, I think he knows that they're going to probably play them both, and I think he knows how fast he said last night, or um, I'm sorry, on Monday, that Reese Plumley, um, Don Reese Plumley, was faster than C.J. Henderson, and a lot of us just went, uh, okay, then then it means he's faster than Usain Bolt. Um, but I don't disagree with him. I mean, watching that guy play, and he knows you got to be prepared for him. You got to be prepared for Corral, who may be the starter. You got to be prepared for both of them in the game at the same time. Plumley may line up in the slot. They pitch it to him. He throws it back. I mean. I think those are the things that keep him awake. I don't think he. I think he feels like his offense is going to be pretty good. And as you know, uh, the defense in Mississippi has not been great over the last few years. And I think it, it may be a little bit better, but uh, the interior defensive line may be a problem. He may just be able to run the ball. So uh, we'll see. But I think he's more worried about what those quarterbacks, the different looks that they can give, than anything else. Pat Newley from the Gainesville Sun. Last thing, Pat, do you think home, home field advantage matters this year? I think it matters a little bit, but nowhere near as much as it normally does. I think, look, travel is not easy for players. You know, um, having what you have to deal with, you have to bus to the airport, get on a plane, fly in, bus, bus there, stay in a, in a bed, um, in a, uh, and it's again, their travel is going to be so different than anything they've ever experienced before. You know, in terms of everything Florida's doing to make sure players are, you know, a lot of players are being going to be in single rooms, for example. And I would bet Kyle Trask will be one of them. Um, <laughs> and they and they will also, you know, separate them so much more on the plane. Um, you know, making sure that there's no issues there. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be a different. It, it, I don't think anybody really wants to open up on the road. This year, uh, even though you're not going into a hostile environment, I mean, um, you know, I think what, what are they allowing sixteen thousand out at Ole Miss? And I don't think, the, yeah. from what I heard, they haven't even sold all the tickets yet. And I don't blame them. I don't think it's a lot of people just don't want to deal with it, and I don't blame them at all. Like I said, we're not going. So, um, so yeah, I, I think. Look, it's bet I'd rather play at home than on the road. But as you know, what it's like in the SEC, where you it leads the country in attendance every year, and there's a reason because the fans are so rabid, uh, it's not going to be the same. Now, I'll be curious to see, Richard, later in the year, what it is it, are we getting more fans in the stands, and all of a sudden home field advantage does 
you know, come up and become a big deal. But, you know, it's funny. You know, I'm a big Braves fan. The Braves are better at home than they are on the road. There's no fans with, there. With so nobody in the stands. Like, nobody in the yeah, stands. It just, it just works out. Pat, always appreciate your time. Great visiting with you. Hey, we won't see you in Oxford this weekend. Yeah, me too, buddy. I miss you, and hopefully we'll see you down the road somewhere, okay? Absolutely. That's Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun on Super Talk Mississippi. You know, you got some big numbers this week in the SEC in terms of point spreads. Georgia is a 26-and-a-half-point favorite against Arkansas. Alabama a 27-point favorite against Missouri on the road. And Vanderbilt a 31-point favorite against Texas A&M. Tom Hart tweeted a couple of days ago, according to ESPN Stats and Info, that goes back to 1978, their database does. This will be the first time in SEC history that the league's slate of games features three 24-point or more favorites. Oh, wow. With Georgia, Bama, and A&M all falling comfortably into that category. Some mismatches on paper. Yeah, but that playing field has been leveled to some degree. I mean, Vanderbilt's not beating Texas A&M. I mean, Missouri's not beating Alabama either. Arkansas's terms- probably not beating Georgia. However... I do think all of the stuff that's gone on has really made things a little bit different now. Georgia's going to raw out a true freshman quarterback. So all the hoopla about Daniels getting his immediate eligibility, and that got fast-tracked somehow through the NCAA, and joke's on them, he's not even medically cleared yet. Only two of the seven games feature single-digit point spreads with Auburn being a a 7.5-point favorite against Kentucky and Tennessee being a a 3.5-point favorite on the road against South Carolina. The other two are in the teens, with Florida favored by 14 against Ole Miss in Oxford and LSU favored by 16.5 against Mississippi State in Baton Rouge. Over under 2.5 underdogs win on Saturday. Under, yeah, under. I mean, when when three of three of the seven are so lopsided, you've only got to have two more favorites win. Yeah, to to hit that number. Um, which game's going to be closest? You know, in terms of point spread, Tennessee South Carolina is the closest. But in terms of final score differential, you had to guess which game would be closest. What would you go with? Kentucky Auburn. You think it's a one score game one way or the other? Yeah, you might be talking about the uh, the big spreads. Yes, I, I think that will be a close game. You picking the upset? Yes. It's not an upset in my opinion. Wrong team favored. Okay. Borky, where are you on that one? It's hard to disagree with that. I think Tennessee-South Carolina is going to be an extremely close game. I don't think they're as far apart as some people do. Injury to the freshman running back notwithstanding. Yeah. Does Garantano look different this year? 
you know, at times he looked good and made good plays, but he, at times last year he made some of the most ridiculous decisions you've ever seen. He's kind of been around too long, right? I mean, there's always time for improvement, I'm sure, but it's kind of like the Kellen Mond syndrome that people are getting. Now he's going to be good. After years of seeing him being just average, this year he's finally going to take the step forward. Well, what evidence do you have to support that? It's very different when you're talking a true freshman to a sophomore jump like with Bo Nix, for example. But when you've seen multiple years of the same thing from the same guy, why are you falling in love with him now? And That's yeah, a reasonable question. Garantano may fall into that category. Yeah, I, I don't... I think he'll be good, and he, he might be better. He's sort of, he and Kellen Mond are sort of the same guy to me. You know, Ooh, there's some talent no there. Do I know? I don't see that. I mean, Kellen Mond's put of, up big numbers. But what I'm saying, just in terms of, I feel like they should be a little bit better than they are. But they never take that step to become a truly good, consistent, week-in, week-out quarterback. Kellen Mond, for what it's worth, uh, as a freshman, completed 51.5% of his passes, just 1,300 yards, didn't play a whole lot. Eight touchdowns, six picks, much better as a sophomore, 57% completions, just over 3,000 yards, 24-9. and nine. As a junior, 61.6% completions, 2,800 yards, 20-9. and nine. So in terms of completion percentage, he's trending up, what, about three percentage points each year? What was he as a freshman? It was a, big, it was a 6% jump from freshman to sophomore. So 52 to 58 and then 58 to 61? Yes, basically. So if he were to make a two, three, four-point jump this year and get it to 64, 65%, that certainly is a number that you can live with. Yes, absolutely. Ran the ball well at times a year ago as well. Took some pressure off of him. Yeah. Really good athlete. There may not be a coach in America who is harder on his quarterback than Jimbo Fisher is. He just wears his quarterbacks out constantly. I mean, you there's nothing anybody in the media or any teammate or any opposing trash talker can throw at him that he hasn't gotten many times over from his very own head coach. And, and, and he's always been that way. And he's gotten pretty good results. He, yeah, but so as well. That, that that makes it surprising he's won so many games. You would think that would be the kind of coach that would struggle, but maybe he recruits the kind of quarterback that needs that kind of direction. I don't know. Yeah, you think Jameis Winston <laughs> probably just water yeah. off a duck's back for that dude. Yeah. He couldn't care less. He didn't recruit Mon. Mon was already there when he got there, so I'll never forget the debut performance for Jameis Winston. It was against Virginia Tech on a Monday night. I think it was a Florida State-Virginia Tech Monday night game. And didn't he go like wasn't he like 21 of 24 for, I mean, just off the charts numbers? I'll believe you. I don't know the answer. There's one of those if we only had a machine things. Yeah. Um, just, just sticking with the quarterback conversation just for a second. Thinking about all 14 teams in the SEC. In the first half of that game, it was against Pittsburgh. 
He was 17 of 18 for 240 and three touchdowns in the first half. Mm. Sorry, wrong team. Pittsburgh, not Virginia Tech. Final stat line, 25 of 27, four touchdowns. They put in Jake Coker very early. There's a name for you. Mm -hmm. Future national championship quarterback at Alabama. There you go. All right, so so you know you've got returning quarterbacks at Florida with Kyle Trask, Auburn with Bo Nix, Alabama kind of with Mac Jones, Kellen Mond at Texas A&M, Jarrett Garantano at Tennessee. Going to have a new starter at South Carolina, new starter at Vandy, new starter at Missouri, new starter at Arkansas and Georgia, new starter at Mississippi State, Kind of a new starter at Kentucky, although Terry Wilson has started before in the SEC, and new starter kind of at Ole Miss. Of the new starters, the actual new starters and the kind of new starters, who's the guy that's going to make a big jump and that we're going to be talking about at the end of the year? K.J. Costello is the easy answer. Yeah, I think. But making a jump is, I mean, he's already done it well at, at a high level. You know what I mean? I mean what kind of jump is he going to make? Is he I mean, yeah, Statistically, he, he'll make a big jump, but I don't know that you, my, my impression of him will change any. But, but what, K.J. Costello what, started parts of three seasons at Stanford, is that right? Yeah. And there was one really good year. Now, he dealt with some injuries along the way, but it was his, it was his sophomore season right. where he went big. In Stanford's offense. Had some good pieces around him. Had um, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Was it J.J. or J.C.? Anyway, or- Ortega-Whiteside, who was just unbelievable as a wide receiver. And was McCaffrey on that team as a sophomore? No, it would have been Bryce Love, wouldn't it? That would have been Bryce Love. And that, oh, thing, that was the Take year down that Bryce right Love there. was really good, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was the year he he finished what second? No, I'm not second in the Heisman, but he was in the Heisman race. Yeah. I'm sorry, Borky, I interrupted you. What'd you say? Oh, I was just laughing. Oh, big downgrade there from McCaffrey to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in that particular year, it was incredible. So, KJ Costello might be the easy answer. Who else are you pointing at? Are, are you are you expecting Dewan Mathis at Georgia to burst onto the scene and have a huge year? Is it crazy to say Matt Corral? I mean, he was in a system last year that was not friendly to him whatsoever, and he's got the talent to be a good quarterback. Now he's got to prove it. The arm talent especially. Yeah. You can throw the football. More consistent reps, offense that better fits his skill set? I think there are three things that you've got to know to know whether or not Matt Corral is going to be big. Consistency, accuracy, and decision-making. He's got to be able to consistently hit wide receivers who are open. He's got to be more accurate with the deep ball. And he's got to stay out of bad plays where he's forcing stuff. If those three things happen, and that's three big things, he's got a chance to put up some pretty good numbers this year. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.